As we start to wrap this season of the pod, there's a show I've found myself coming back to over and over, Big Mouth on Netflix, an animated series about growing up that's also produced by my guest this week. In fact, when I zoom back on many of my favorite shows, my guest has had a hand in practically all of them. If there's one thing I've cherished more than anything during this pandemic, it's been the joy of laughter. And this week, Gil Ozeri is here to talk comedy, clothes, and, well, you'll have to hear for yourself. My name is Jeremy Kirkland, and this is Blamo. My guest this week is comedian, actor, and writer Gil Ozeri. Gil and I discuss breaking into comedy through improv, putting his life in danger for sketches, including how he almost duct-taped himself to a helicopter, dressing like a cozy grandpa, and how comedy can connect us, and why that matters more than ever now. How are you doing? I'm doing all... Okay, I was going to say doing all right. That's because that's my rote answer, but, you know... I'm hanging in there. Um, the world is uh, a mess, and I'm just trying to stay afloat. I mean, I have it. I'm um, I'm lucky. I have a place and food, and you know, my family's all right, and I have my health. But um, yeah, it sucks. Everything sucks. <laughs> you know, I appreciate the honest answer because it's funny. Everyone I'll talk to, I'll be like, "How are you doing?" And people are like, "This is great. Life is fantastic. I'm I'm going to the gym. I'm eating well." And I'm just like, "You do realize that." we're all dying. <laughs> yeah, no, it's all terrible. And, uh, I feel like no one's doing anything about it and it's going so slowly and, um, it's hard not to see family and, you know, um, you know, it's just, uh, and also that's not even mentioning like how our government is falling apart. So, yeah, you know, that's like, it's, it's, it's just so much, so much news. It's a lot. Yeah. It's, if like there's, I saw a thing going online. Like I'm, I'm from, uh, living, well, used to live in Brooklyn for a long time and I'm a huge Nets fan. I had more people reach out to me about the hardened trade than the impeachment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yo, what do you do with your season tickets? You know, you still got them. Well, it feels like, it feels like it's like real life. Like it's something that like you, you want to kind of go back to when you could just talk about basketball and not like talk about people storming the Capitol, you know, like, basketball feels like it's like oh it's some sense of normalcy a little bit you know um whereas like the capital it's like yeah what am i supposed to do say about this or do about this it feels like the you know the death of our country yeah and maybe i guess like if you're a sports fan the whole point of being into sports is pretending you know more about it than the people playing it. Totally. Yeah. I don't know what they're going to do with wing defense now. I mean Harding can't handle it, you know, and it's I like I know. Yeah. I mean, also, like, I feel like the, the the whole, like, now that in this era of basketball, people are getting so, traded so much that it's, like, almost part of the game is, like, and, and being into the game is, like, who's going to be traded to which team as opposed to, like, which team is, like, actually playing good basketball. It's like, ooh, did you hear the rumor about this guy and that guy, you know? I don't know. That's part of it. Yeah, I didn't even know Tibbs was coaching for the, for the freaking uh... – Knicks. Yeah, for the Knicks now. I was just yeah. like, what? They were like good for a hot minute, and now they're back to a four-game losing streak. It's Sounds like the Knicks. Yeah, sounds like the Knicks. Um, I take it you're a basketball fan. Um, uh, You know what got me back into it? I'm, I've been always like sort of um, – I, I was a basketball fan when I was much younger, but like the bubble – this, the bubble got me back into it because there was nothing really to do. And I was like, oh, this it was actually really exciting to watch um, the playoffs. And so now this season, I'm sort of back into it. I got a an NBA league pass and it's sort of like it's helped with the sadness. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's jump back just a little bit because I think sure. you're – someone for like, I mean, I have a few other friends that kind of work in the industry and everyone's like, man, you, you got, if you like clothes or if you like this, you got to talk to Gil. He's low key, coolest guy in the writer's room. Oh no. <laughs> That's very sweet of them. <laughs> but something that, you know, I think is not really getting a ton of attention or credit right now is the sense that throughout all of this despair, throughout all of this craziness and frustration, no one has really treasured laughter as much as they have until recently. And mm -hmm. when you think about like, the shows that you've worked on from Big Mouth and Brooklyn Nine-Nine and all that, like that is 
probably one of the most ultimate and like loving gifts that you have that you're sharing with the world now. I'm just kind of curious how some of this stuff came together. That's very sweet to say. Um, how, uh, how it, what was your question? How it came together? Yeah. I mean, I, from I what I it? No, Yeah. I mean, cause you, you were, you were going to school for what, like political science or something. I was going to school for computer science. Yeah. Um, at the suggestion of my father, um, who weirdly is an artist. Um, he, he's a photographer. Um, he was a photojournalist, but his, his sort of, his pictures are in museums and he's, he's a brilliant photographer, brilliant artist. And, um, yeah, he pushed me to, you know, he grew up with not a lot of money and, Mm -hmm. um, he, so he pushed me to get a job that was going to be secure. He didn't want the same sort of like, um, you know, instability, uh, in my career. So he pushed me to do computer programming, which he thought was going to get me sort of work. And I, you know, I didn't really think that I had a choice um, when I was younger. So I, yeah, I, I went into computer science, but my entire life, um, I was, you know, super into comedy, um, into SNL and, um, uh, you know, comedy movies, um, um, and, and making my family and friends laugh. Like that's how sort of, you know, I was always a short kid, like really tiny. I was like, uh, you know, like four foot 11 in high school throughout high school. Um, I only, you know, grew to the enormous height of five, seven when I was like, uh, 18. Um, but, um, you know, I, I, that's how I sort of, you know, got, um, attention, got love was to try to make people laugh. And so when I realized that I was like failing out of college, um, and this, you know, computers wasn't a vi- like programming wasn't a viable option. Um, I sort of decided to, you know, try my hand at it. And, um, the first, my first step was taking classes at the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. And, um, this is in New York. This is in New York. Yeah. Um, and I saw Amy Poehler perform and, um, you know, the, U- the rest of the UCB four and Tina Fey and, um, and I fell in love, you know, I was just like, this is, this, this is what I want to do. I didn't know about improv and, um, I only knew about, you know, stand up, which I had tried, but wasn't, it didn't speak to me the same way improv did. And after that, I, I sort of didn't look back. I was doing it seven days, you know, seven nights a week uh, after that for years. Yeah. Cause you're kind of part of the, the sophomore class and like golden age of improv at UCB with the stuff that you guys were doing. I mean, um, because I don't know, were you ever doing stuff with like George Basil and those guys, or he was? Oh more yeah, yeah, that. I know George. Yeah, yeah, he's a great guy. Love him. I had no idea like how high an art form was uh, of improv until I started to see just like really, really good improv. Yeah, if it's really good, it's it can definitely be high art. Um, most of it, I would say, is really bad. <laughs> um, a lot of it is. Um, but yeah, when it's good, it's really good. Um, and you know, when I first started and I was watching, you know, Amy and Andy Daly and Rob Hubel and Rob Riggle and Paul Shearer and, you know, um, Ali Farnaki and all those people, you know, watching them, you're, they're like top tier. So it's easy to sort of be like, well, I want to be like them. This can be amazing, you know? Um, so yeah, I fell in love and instantly sort of became obsessed with it. Um, and yeah, I mean, you, you worked at the, um, Apple store at, or like there were a number of people worked at the Apple store. I worked at, um, I was bartending for a while. Um, and also, um, would, I had like a part-time graphic design job, which I didn't learn at all in, you know, in college, like programming. I just like sort of taught it to myself so that I would be able to you know, bullshit my way through some job, you know, to, to keep going. <laughs> what did your folks say when you told them you're, you weren't going to go in that direction anymore? Um, not, su- I mean, my, my father was not supportive of it until he saw that it was like a viable, um, quote unquote career, um, that I was starting to make money for it. He became a little bit more supportive. My mom was always very supportive, but I think worried about where my next check would come from. You know, um, they were helpful when they, they, they could be, you know, monetarily too. So, yeah. 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 I mean, that like when you were starting to do that stuff, um, I mean, so you, 
I mean, how many levels of the UCB stuff were you going through? Because you're doing it seven days a week, you said? Yeah, um, a lot. Um, I repeated classes over and over again, you know, and just, you know, work to try to to try to keep taking classes um, and to sort of stay in there. I, I There's also like, you know, uh, um, something called like, there's a house team there called a Harold team. Mm-hmm. And I kept not being a, not like getting on a team. It took me like six or seven, um, auditions. So that, that, that was like years. Um, you know, they have a, a, an audition once or maybe twice a year. Um, so, you know, it took me a while. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it, it's tough. It's a tough, it's, it's tough. You know, um, I was, I was living in a studio with another friend of mine for a while, living in my mom's basement for a while. Um, luckily I, you know, I had those, you know, I was able to, to stay in, to stay afloat, you know, and to have people who could help me out. Um, you know, but, um, I wasn't one of those people who didn't need to have a job. I had to have a job. Um, so, you know, some people, you know, can just get, you know, get by without one. And and some people had it worse than me, but you know, I, I luckily, I, you know, stuck through it and was able to make something of it. Yeah. I mean, you're very, uh, humbly downplaying yourself because from all the research I'd done and videos I saw and stuff like you, you were really good. Like there's a difference in, in, in being, in being good. Um, and maybe like not breaking yet versus, Banging well, your- you know what it, t- it took a while to sort of for like I knew I, I felt like I knew I could do it like improv but mm-hmm. I had re- a real trouble learning the language and I, I had trouble interpreting my ideas and and the thoughts I had in through improv onto the stage it was very hard for me to be myself it was really hard for me to like I was my um I would go blue a lot. I would curse all the time because I was so nervous. I would get like, um, you know, stomach cramps and, and, and I would feel sick before shows. Um, it took me a while to actually, you know, speak the language, um, and, um, and, and be able to be myself, um, without having to think about all the rules. Um, I remember, uh, taking a um doing this they had a show called the lottery where you get to play this was like the first time they had done it at at the at ucb where students get to play with um teachers so i i did scenes with um i did scenes with uh um, amy and horatio sands and kevin dorf who's another um uh comedy uh guy a conan guy he's really funny and i remember jack mcbrayer was the uh, the coach and he was like, you cannot say dildo anymore. Like, you're just saying dildo in every scene. You're bringing up dildos. And he's like, you have to stop. Um, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to not, like, that's what I thought, like, would get the audience to like me, you know? And so I had to, like, stop, you know, put a moratorium on that kind of stuff um, and, and prevent myself from doing it because those, those became sort of crutches. And until you practice enough, then you can start to sort of be yourself. So it was hard for me at first. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I, I feel like a lot of people, when they start doing improv, the initial instinct to get a rise is usually some form of like vulgarity humor. Shock. Yeah, it's shock. Yeah. And once you get past that, you're like, okay, well, what do I want to say? And what, you know, how can I really show myself and my voice and, you know, stuff that has actual content to it, not just like dildos. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not that dildos can't be, you know, have content, sure. you know, matter, but you know, I, when it's just that. Right. There's a lot more to life. Yeah. I mean, it, cause it sounds like too, I mean, as you're, you're going through this stuff, I mean, like so much of improv turns into this sort of group therapy and like shared understanding of, of how to accept yourself and understanding that, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter about anyone in the audience. It's about whether or not you're happy with your performance. Totally. I mean, and it's also like, you know, I think the best improv is the one that's the most honest and the closest to being honest. And, you know, it's really, it's hard to tell if the people are being real on stage 
or like performing when like the veil of performance is gone and sort of you're just being real with the people um, um, on stage and, and having a true connection. I think that that's whether it's comedic or dramatic. Um, I, I, I think, you know, I think that's what people um, are attracted to. And, and, and the best improv I've done happens to be with, you know, my best friends because you forget that you're in front of an audience you know, and you're just yourself. And it's almost like you're having a conversation without anybody around. And that to me, you know, you're making each other laugh. You're saying stuff that's real. You're revealing sometimes things that you wouldn't reveal in front of an audience because you don't think that they're even there. Um, and that's like the best, you know, improv to me. When did you know that you were doing that? I, I knew that when I was, um, when I was, when I started to perform with Adam, Pally and Ben Schwartz. Um, we were really good friends off stage, and we, you know, we couldn't get on stage. We couldn't get time, and so we would wait till the theater closed, and we would perform at like one or two in the morning um, when no one was around. Um, and we would we became really good friends. We became best friends, and once we started to perform together a lot. Um, we started to just be ourselves and try to make each other laugh. And we forgot about the audience. And that's when I think we really started to connect with them. Oh, damn. Yeah. That's kind of amazing. Damn. I wish I was at those shows. They were really fun. They were really fun. Yeah. And then like, as, as you keep doing this, I mean, you're, you're bartending, you're, you're, you know, you're, I don't know, using, uh, whatever mirror format tools and Photoshop to make stuff. When did you start to get work? where now you're getting hired for i think my my first gig was actually well it was a a, a few things um i would say the 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 three sort of seminal things were one i um i I got this job a voiceover job with ben schwartz hosting a show on the e-network a sketch show um by the guy who did celebrity death match um and it was a show called starveillance and me and him um were the voices of the hosts Um, and, uh, that was one, one job. Um, and it was with my best friend. So we sort of auditioned together and we got the job together, which was great. Um, and I think it was because of our dynamic. Another one was I got an agent through, I did these like phone sex pranks where, um, I would call up phone sex operators and pretend that I was into, weird stuff like clowns i'd be like you know tell me that you're in a small car you know like that kind of stuff um and and they really took off and an agent sort of contacted me um and i started working um with her and the other thing was um when when um pally when adam pally got um this is my first real break i think was adam pally got um cast on happy endings um, and he um, he submitted my script to the um, to the showrunner and said, "Hey, you know, my friend's looking. You know, he's you know looking for a writing job. You know, they, they were hiring writers, and so I got hired as a writer's assistant off of um, you know a script that I had actually written like overnight. I didn't have a script. Pally's like, do you have anything? And so I just wrote a script like." a 35 page script overnight and sent it in. And luckily they hired me. Wait, wait. Okay. Hold on. how did you learn how to write a script? I looked it up online. I looked it up <laughs> online. Honestly. <laughs> wait, this is amazing. So, I mean, you're kind of reiterating the truth that entourage is real. I mean, in, in a sense, like, you know, like I had been working with Pally for like 15 years at that point, you know? Um, and yeah, he, he, he definitely like, I think we all like sort of want to keep working together and look out for each other. And I think that's like another, the best part of UCB aside from, you know, aside from, you know, everything I've learned there is the community. And I've like a lot of my jobs, you know, not just happy endings, but like, a ton of my jobs, um, uh, you know, co- have come out of and have bore from the from the work I did with all uh, all the all the people at UCB as I was coming up. You know, um, I got um, 
I got uh, I worked with Paul uh, with Paul Shear and um, Curtis Gwynn on NTSF, um, which was an Adult Swim show because Paul knew me, and you know, so it, it's sort of like they knew my work. And if I hadn't been there, I wouldn't been, have been able to get those opportunities. So I think it's like a mix of like, you know, and when and when I have something that I think someone's good for, I go to the well of people I know because I can trust them. Um, right. So it's sort of like this, you know, it, it's 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 great. I mean, it's a, it's 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 gotten me sort of everything. Yeah. And by no means am I am I uh, alluding to people getting work of just being buddies? Because I no, it, Yeah. I mean, there is a, obviously there is you know, nepotism. And I mean, we're talking about Hollywood. Um, but, um, <laughs> you know, I think it's sort of like a mix of like, I think, you know, getting work in Hollywood is a mix of, you know, talent and hard work and also connections. I mean, you know, people have to hear about other people, you know, um, right. and, you know, that's, um, that's sort of part of it. So, um, if it, the more you sort of put yourself out there, the more people will hear of you and the more they can recommend you for a job. Right. Yeah. Right. And as, as you're starting to make this other stuff, I mean, you were kind of experimenting a little bit on your own with like, I mean, your social media, your, your Twitter, your, you know, did you still have a desire to kind of go back to stand up? Um, I, I, well, I never did real stand up. I always did like improv. Um, I, but I, I always, yes. I mean, like, are you talking about versus writing? Yeah. Cause I mean, this stuff that, cause I had first, I never made the connection, but I had first heard about you when you were doing like Snapchat stuff right. and yeah. some of the most like, and I mean this in a complimentary way that like some of the most bizarre sure. and strange humor I'd ever seen. Yeah. I mean, that's like to me, I, I, I mean, I've always wanted to perform. So like being in front of the camera to me is, is just as fun as being behind it. I mean, and you know, if I could sort of combine both things and I've, if I get to create a world and also be a part of it, you know, that's like sort of the, that's what I'm looking to do. I would say. Yeah. So I always wanted to be in front of the camera too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. cause that, that's, was. I mean, it's still, I was, I found some YouTube rips of your snap stories uh-huh. and I was going and watching them and they're just so like, just bonkers. Yeah. It was, um, it was a time of my life. It was, a, it was, um, it was, you know, I, I, I put myself, my life in danger a lot. Um, and this was before <laughs> I had a daughter, you know, um, and, um, I also, I just wanted to try to not think and worry about anybody else or what anybody else thought was funny or what they wanted. And and I didn't want to like, this was after years of having to go through like the pilot process and like the Hollywood, like selling something and getting notes and all that kind of stuff. And I didn't want to, I wanted to skip all that and just put something out without it's the same thing like we were just talking when you were asking about like what connects to the audience. It's like, okay, being as real and close to yourself as possible. And that's sort of what I was doing on Snapchat was just like, I'm going to be as crazy as I want to be, as weird as I want to be and not think about anything. And it just so happened to connect and, you know, with the audience and it, and it became, you know, really, really popular. And, you know, and that then, full circle, I ended up doing a pilot for Comedy Central from it because of that. So I went, you know, backwards around back to the, you know, pilot process through it. So it was, it was, a, a, a you know, an amazing, you know, weird and crazy experience for me too. Yeah. What was the stuff that was like, where was so much of that coming from? Like just plants and, and just like, turning yourself into scenery and I mean, was it, was it like, is it Steve Martin stuff? I mean, I mean a lot, I, it was just like, let's see. I, it was just like what I thought would be funny. What I thought like that was like the impetus for almost everything. Um, and, um, you know, a lot of it also came from sort of collaborating with my wife. She was the, the, you know, 80% of the time, 90% of the time she was the, you know, directing and filming everything. And she would write stuff with me too. Um, and we were just, you know, trying to be as funny as possible and just do the weirdest, 
most bizarre shit. I mean, she was very much against me, like duct taping myself to the car or like, you know, doing <laughs> stuff that was like putting my life in complete danger. But I was like reckless at, at that. At, at one point, you know, I was like doing a snap every day or twice a day and willing to, willing to do like the most, you know, crazy at one point we were going to like duct tape myself. I was going to get a, a helicopter and duct tape myself to a helicopter and fly. Like I was just like, okay, I'm going to put my life on the line and, and that's what I'm just going to give myself to it and, and see what happens. Um, and you know, luckily I didn't, I didn't die. I did get very hurt during the pilot shooting though. I like fell down like an escalate, an escalator and the escalator was a, it was a new escalator. So all the like jagged, you know, the jagged edges of like the teeth, Yeah, yeah, yeah. my entire back is scarred now. I have like, it looks like Freddy, like went ape shit on my back. I have like <laughs> tons of scars on my back. Yeah. I'm, I that's, will not show it. No, no, that that's fine. But that's, that's awful. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry that, yeah. that happened. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, they, they eventually sort of, you know, cleared up a little bit so that it's good. It's, it's, it's okay. It's a, it's a good scar. Yeah. I was going to say it's, it still sounds like it was worth it. Yeah. It was totally worth it. (laughs) What does the new work from home wardrobe look like? Some of us are going back into offices and some of us are staying put, but all of us are looking for something better for our wardrobes. P Johnson is a custom men's clothier with a focus on soft tailoring, comfort, and a natural laid back elegance. With their own private factory in Italy and lush showroom in New York, Sydney, Melbourne, or London, you can easily stop in and see for yourself. Or check out one of their trunk shows. They'll even do virtual appointments now. Patrick and the crew just released their new winter ready-to-wear collection, and it's fantastic. Like the technical field jacket, or my personal favorite, the vegan suede overshirt. It's a put-together look, but not contrived. Simple, elegant, and flattering. And if you want something special, you can have something made just for you, and you're not going to wait nine months. We're only talking a few weeks here. Visit pjt.com to view it and learn more. P. Johnson builds individually crafted, top-to-bottom wardrobes for men and women, so you can even nab some stuff for him or her. I've bought tons of made-to-measure and made-to-order tailoring, but P. Johnson ticks every box for me. From the price, style, and fit, and everything they ever make is an extension from the last. So you don't need to worry about what season it is. It's always about improving your wardrobe bit by bit with their quality pieces. So visit pjt.com to learn more, or just go to their Instagram. You'll see their new eyewear, overshirts, and some of the best styling you'll see on any runway or catwalk. It's a vibe. It's P. Johnson. There was a, a Letterman thing, like because my, my friends and I would goof around and make videos, and Letterman had a bit once called "It's Always Funnier When Someone Gets Hurt," um, which they eventually had to yank because of you know the probably not funny. But they would do these things where it was like Paul Schaefer like walking down a set a set of stairs, and then they had a Muppet that looked like Paul Schaefer, and they would just cut to a scene. You'd see you know a Muppet of Schaefer just fly down the stairs. <laughs> with all of his clothes and like my friends and I started trying to do these things and we had a buddy like break his leg uh because we were like you know we were trying to make jackass videos or whatever yes I mean jackass is like the the funniest you know I I, like you've got to put it up in the top funniest movies I mean like and and and, but I I wasn't like my goal wasn't ever to be like I'm going to put my life on the line um, on purpose, or I'm going to try to get hurt. Like that was never my intention. My intention was I'm going to try to do something funny and weird and strange and sometimes even haunting. And if it happens to put my, if it happens to put me in danger, then I, there's nothing I can do about it. You know, um, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's just what's going to have to happen. So I was sort of right. giving myself up to the premise, um, as much as I could. Yeah, there was a, I would say that like, while Jackass is like, hey, let's do this, it's dumb, and maybe it'll be funny. It, it felt like there was a little bit more of a narrative behind your stuff, even though maybe I'm editorializing. Um, I tried to have, yeah, narrative sort of getting through, um, going through it. Um, but, you know, they also, weirdly, Jackass has like the narrative of family going through it. Because, you know, they, they're like 
such good friends and it's the family that they sort of made and like their relationships, if they weren't like so loving to each other, I don't know if Jackass could really like be as fun and as, as sort of entertaining. I don't think you could sit there and be like, okay, he just smacked him with a huge high five that like with like flour (laughs) and beat the shit out of him. You know, like if they love each other and that's what you're, that's why you're like, okay, I can laugh at that too. Cause you know, they're laughing. That's a really astute observation. Yeah. I don't think I would have made that. Kind of, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, when I was sort of like trying to make my, uh, uh, the pilot from my snaps, I was just like, well, I need to have a way to sort of bring the audience in. And like, and, and, and part of that was like looking at Jackass and saying like, well, what made Jackass so appealable and, and, and why, appealing and why was it like why what brought you in what made you feel like you were part of the of the group and part of it was their dynamic with each other and how like you know how loving they were and you could see it you know yeah that's yeah that's a good point man i I miss jackass i feel like they they tried to reboot it no or did they yeah i mean they're rebooting sex in the city now so that's like your like that's you know you're getting your fix of older people who shouldn't be doing a show still doing the show <laughs> <laughs> not that they shouldn't be doing old people shouldn't work but um that's that's you know i don't know maybe they will i think you know their bodies are like probably i've heard like they're really like uh damaged at this point yeah yeah right? i don't i don't know who could yeah i mean they they i think like jo- uh, johnny has like a catheter and or did he said on uh, what's it called on some interview or whatever? Oh God, yeah, that's awful. Yeah, um, it's tough. But I, I, whenever I watch one of those movies, I'm like, God bless them. Like, thank you for letting us laugh at your expense. Oh yeah, I mean, it's it's basically the perfect reincarnation of of the Three Stooges. Yeah, the time period. Yeah, it just Tom and Jerry. Out. Yeah, it's classic, baby. Yeah. <laughs> so you. You know, you, you, you'd worked on your pilot and when, when did you start working on, you know, cause I know that you were doing some things at Brooklyn nine, nine, and then mm-hmm. eventually making a big mouth, like, cause your, your career, like kind of rocketed up from the, all, all that snap stuff. Yeah. I mean, I was at Brooklyn nine I, after happy endings. I went to Brooklyn nine, nine for a season. Um, mm-hmm. and then I sort of tried to, I did a few pilots. I did a, another pilot for comedy central and, um, I was sort of like selling my own, trying to make my own thing. And then the Snapchat stuff sort of led me to Big Mouth. I had always been friends with Nick uh, Kroll. And um, I said, because he's an improv guy too. He's an an improv guy too. Yeah. Um, And he was always like on the stand up scene when I was coming up. And um, and he, I think, you know, he had seen also my Snapchat stuff and he asked me to come in to to meet on Big Mouth. Um, And started working at I started working at Big Mouth in the middle of the like first season um and um yeah and then all you know this I I did the did the pilot for um for Comedy Central based on the snaps which uh, um unfortunately didn't go um but um we we you know after that just I'm at keep acting and, 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 um, I, I'm, uh, was on the show black AF and, um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, just, um, trying to sort of keep my f- foot in like two rooms and is that the, that's not the, um, but you know, trying to, trying to like stay in front of the camera and also do writing as much as I can, you know, trying to, you know, talking about big mouth for a second, sure. like, did you ever at, it would all come back to dildos. <laughs> um, I will tell you that I, I, I felt uniquely um, competent because I, um, I, uh, I knew so much about dildos um, at that <laughs> show. Um, but yeah, I mean, it weirdly, it's you know, that's another show where like you're also you have to censor yourself, even though. You think you're like, oh, that show is so dirty. Well, it's dirty because we're talking about puberty and, you know, like you're – there's a purpose behind it. And if it, there wasn't that purpose, you'd be sort of grossed out by – you'd be grossed – it would just be like, oh, this is like, you know, so dirty for dirty's sake. 
And, and that's what I sort of like, it, it feels like a weird lesson that keeps coming back, which is like, you can't just go blue because just because you want to go blue in the same way that we were just talking about jackass, like just having the stuff without the love and the emotion behind it, it would kind of be worthless and it would feel like, like the froth on, you know, it's, it's not, there's no, there's no uh, substance to it. And just like in big mouth, you know, like I have, you know, you're constantly having to go, okay, I'm not going to just be dirty just to try to be dirty. But like, if, if you have this like layer of, and I think that's what the show does really well is have like this emotional layer underneath it of like kids who are actually struggling, then you can, go as far as you want and be as dirty as you want. And then it's like, okay, well, how many dildo jokes do you know? And it's like, Oh, I know a lot, you know? So. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, uh, I was reading Nomi's piece from the New Yorker about it. I mean, it's just nail on She's the great. head. I mean, that, that show is weirdly like, which I didn't even expect, like such a, a high art form when you think of, like capturing, yeah, like what you were saying, like puberty and the the emotions and like the I what I've you know totally empathized with were the thoughts that were going through my head. You know, yeah, I, I wish. I mean, I wish the show was around. You know, um, when I was a kid, because I felt like I had to go through that stuff alone. You know, it was um, I couldn't talk to anyone, and my parents certainly didn't talk to me about it. I mean, you know, I just had to discover this shit. <laughs> um, so. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I feel like we're getting out a lot of we're, get, we're getting all the writers are all getting out a lot of demons and a lot of um, shit we went through. And hopefully it can be helpful. Um, you know, that's not the complete purpose. I'm not saying that the show is trying to be helpful to, to, to teenagers or anybody else. But I think that's sort of like a, um, a byproduct of us trying to make a real show about what we went through. Um, is that if, if people connect to it because it's it's um, it speaks to the stuff that they're sort of going through and might be going through alone. It's like, oh, I'm going, you know, I'm going through the same shit or I went through the same shit. Well, I mean, with with all due respect, I'd, I'd argue that it is helpful because I think when people are able to recognize that, like, they're not alone in yes. bizarre things and weird struggles then you have the shared empathy, which is like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I just meant like we. It's hard to like when you start to like try like as a writer to try to be helpful as opposed to saying trying to be real, then it starts to come from a preachy place. Um, whereas like being helpful is a complete, you know, by a, a symptom or a byproduct from really trying to be real. And the more real you can do it, the more help we are genuinely helpful, I think. And, and we, you know, I, I know that because people have written me and, 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 and talked to us about how it really has helped them and, and spoke to, um, spoke to things that they've gone through or represented, um, um, themselves on, you know, TV when, you know, other shows or, or like there, there's been a lack of that. So that, mm. that is all gratifying. Um, I think that though comes, um, from really trying to sort of, you know, ground the stories in, in reality and, and be as real as possible. Yeah. Did you have a, a summer camp experience yourself? I did. Yeah, I did. Um, I had, uh, I mean, like the shit, I, I wrote the um, Poop Madness episode this um, season and um, uh, I had, I've had a number of shitting myself um, <laughs> stories um, and, um, and also constipation stories. That constipation story that Andrew went through in season four, I, I went to the hospital for, being for, for constipation when I was, um, 11 or 12 years old. And I had to like, they thought it was my appendix. And, and then they took like, um, they took an x-ray of my, my stomach, you know, my, like my body. And there was a piece of shit that was like as long as a yardstick, like caught in my stomach. And I was like the most painful thing. I had to have like three or four enemas to get this shit out. I had to stay in the hospital for three nights. It was horrific. That was like, and that's what like my, my family and friends just like, just, just, it was all about like how I was like, Mr. Like Mr. Shit. The doctor literally said to my mother, he's full of shit. That was his diagnosis. <laughs> Your son is full of shit. <laughs> yes. So I was like, that story is like, you know, that's real. 
And there's a, there's a, I don't know if you heard of the podcast duty calls. Have you heard that podcast? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've yeah, been on yeah. like, I've been a guest on that show three times, you know, um, <laughs> because I've had so many shit stories. Um, the r- most recent one was I was in Paris with my wife, um, uh, right before, uh, quarantine. Right. And okay. we were walking in Paris and I was like, Mr. Croissant. I was like enjoying a croissant and coffee. I was like all like, I'm in fucking Paris, you know, all fancy <laughs> and shit. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh fuck. I farted and shit immediately is like <laughs> in my pants. I just out of nowhere. And I'm like, oh God, oh God. And I, I don't know what to do because I'm in the middle of like a street in Paris. And I'm like, okay, there's a cafe at the end of the street. So I waddle down the street like a fucking penguin to this cafe. And he's like, sorry, man, bathroom's only for paying customers. And this is like, there's like a French English barrier too. So I'm trying, I have shit in my pants. So I'm like, uh, okay, uh, I bought a, like a, a sandwich. And he's like, he goes, okay, back there. So I go to the bathroom. Um, I'm, I'm trying to like clean up and shit the rest of the shit. And there is literally a button, okay? You close, you close, this was the weirdest cafe ever, but you close the door with a button, okay? And I close the door with this button and it it like closes like a Star Trek door, right? It's like, (laughs) and then, so I shit and then I flush and I had to flush multiple times, right? And as soon as you flush, you press the button and it flushes and the door opens at the same time. It goes, so now I'm standing there. There's like literally patrons in the restaurant looking at me with my pants down and like half like my ass half full of shit. And, and, and it was just like the worst experience. And every time I flushed and it happened like four or five times, I had to keep the door kept opening and I had to hide myself. It was one of the worst experiences ever. <laughs> and this is uh, last year. Yeah, I was going to say, that that sounds pretty amazing. Thank God for the pandemic, or I would have been like, you know, had like four <laughs> more shit stories. Yeah, I uh, I would lie a lot and say that I was, that my wife or someone was, like I'd walk into a restaurant and be like, oh, I'm just waiting for someone. And then I would get on my phone and I would pretend that I was on the phone and I would go into hide, like down oh, the bathroom. You'd sneak in, you'd like sort of move closer oh, and closer yeah. to the bathroom. I have a, I, I'll send this to you if you ever want it. I mean, not that we're all going to be roaming around New York tomorrow, but like I had a notepad of all the like hotels and restaurants that have like public bathrooms. And then at the time it was the codes to get into all the different restrooms. That's so uh, funny. You know, they have like a shit app too. Really? That's like, the- they have like an app that tells you like, well, yeah, I wish that would have come in handy. Yeah. There's been so many times where I bought like 15 macaroons so I can use a bathroom or like whatever it is that I don't want just so I can like get into a bathroom. Well, Paris does, I mean, hindsight, right. But they do sometimes have those like bathrooms on the street that are like one euro. Do they? I didn't, I didn't even, I didn't know about that. I don't, I mean, depends on where you are in Paris, but like, like near, you know, Notre Dame and stuff like that. There are all these like like, public bathrooms. Yeah. Yeah. But you got to pay, you know? So, yeah. Um, but yeah, they also have these sliding sliding doors. <laughs> yeah, that exactly. <laughs> well, I'm not gonna lie; I didn't expect us to talk this much about bowel movements, but it is hey. a freaking joy. Um, I do want to talk about the most important stuff because while I'm very grateful and I adore your your comedy career and your writing, none of it holds a candle to the Johns you got. <laughs> so, talk to me about what's in your closet right now. What have you been wearing the most in quarantine? Um, well, I would say cardigans. I mean, I've been wearing a lot of cardigans. Um, yeah. These are actually, I think they're Club Monaco cardigans, um, but they are really soft. It, it's really easy to be, like, I'm trying to stay cozy, I, I feel like. Um, and it's sort of a way to be, co- and, and, and I feel, as I get older, I feel my wardrobe inching towards grandpa. Like I, I starting, I'm like as cozy grandpa. Like I just bought this like Paul Stewart, um, like cap and it's like really soft and, um, and I, and 
and I've and 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 it's just like it's sort of like I, I feel myself getting closer and closer to what my grandfather like looked like. Um, so I would say like a grandfather chic is what my my closet is sort of looking like. You know, like I yeah. feel like I'm gonna have Werthers in my pockets in a, in a couple of days. Um, and a, a lot of I would say I would say like little pins and brooches just to like make. A, yeah, I was gonna say I that was a Comme des Garcons thing. This is no, right this there. is a Keith Herring. I would never wear Comme des Garcons. Here you go. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty sick. How come? What? No love for the CDG? No, uh, I like them. I just feel like it's like I feel like everyone wears them. I don't know. Mm. I feel like it's I'll just it. yeah, yeah. Very basic LA white t-shirt, gray comb or some play. It's like I, I I tend to try to not. I don't know. I tend to try it. Like I know when there's like a trend happening. Like I feel like a lot of my friends are wearing like ALD right now. They're just to me. It's a little bit like nothing against them. I like a lot of their, like in some individual pieces, which I like to like, you know, you know, I, hey, when they, go, we go high. <laughs> yeah. I, there's it, something to me like that feels like a very glorified gap or something like that to me, you know, not to put them down too much. Um, but I, no. I do like a lot of their, like, and I have a, a few of their, like, you know, singular pieces. That's, I, I like to like, that's how I like to shop is just like, oh, I'll get like one little piece here, one little piece there. And eventually like. That, that's called having style. That's, cool. that's good. Okay, good. You don't, you don't, you don't want that. Cause like, I mean, I love ALD, but I'm too indie music snob to keep buying it anymore because people that I don't like as much are buying it. And I'm like, I can't own it now. Yeah. I mean, and it also like speaks, it's like, if anyone were to get it, it's like, it's from Queens, you know, it, they're, they're, it's basketball heavy. It's like also yep. like nineties rap, like, you know, like fetish. It's, it's basically like, it's like, I don't know it, the, what Nancy Myers is to like kitchen porn is ALD <laughs> is to like Queens porn. And I'm like, uh, but I can't, I can't bring myself to like, I'm just like, ah, no, this is you're you're, you're trying too hard to like, it's too nostalgic. It's almost like, it feels like a version of make America great again. It's like, let's move forward instead of thinking back, you know, I don't know. Does that make sense? No, it, it to be honest, that, that was really well put. Okay. That makes perfect sense. Um, yeah. I mean, I, that's kind of been my thing too, is like, I'm slowly going towards like old Lux brands you can find at high, like Upper East Side thrift stores where it's like, oh, cool. I'm going to like get into Laura Piana mm. and like, and all these other weird things that are like, Pretty luxe, but also you can find on, you know, eBay or whatever for a third or a quarter of the price. Yeah, I just bought a couple. I bought another cardigan off of, I'm buying stuff of Etsy a lot too. I bought like um, a Letterman um, cardigan. It's got a nice G on it. It says like, it's like from the 50s. It says like G whiz on it. It's like this old cardigan. Um, I bought um, an old, um, I just got an old uh, uh, green army jacket, an Air Force jacket, like, it's got like it took me a while to find the perfect size, but it fits perfectly. Um, and I'm and I just bought like a ton of patches, so I'm really into like making my own stuff now too. I'm trying to like nice. just make my own. Like my wife also, um, she's got like a whole sewing setup back here. I don't know if you could see it. Um, she's she makes really awesome clothes for my daughter, um, and she's like she's brilliant at it. So like I'm getting her to like get involved to try to make me some me some stuff too oh and, and oh go. and you yeah. brought up that um my dad's uh shirt that pally brought up this is i, yeah. I brought it for you this is the shirt okay it's a levi's it's like from it's like 50 years old um wow you can see it right there but like this yeah. thing is on its last legs it's on its last legs i've had it i've had it patched up multiple times i don't know if you could see that but it, it oh, is damn. not uh but it, it still fits like perfectly. It's uh, it's still pretty awesome. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's because I was going to say, that's the thing is like, Adam was like one of the greatest fits I've ever seen was Gil wearing these loafers and his dad's, you know, his dad's like military shirt or whatever. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah I'm, like, I, I am. Uh, yeah. I'm also in loafers too, that you mentioned. I'm, I'm looking for, I'm trying to get um, Alden loafers. Do you like Alden? They're, it's very expensive. Um, but like, I mean, here's, here's the thing where it's like, I don't know what, how much money you're spending on clothes or anything, but you know, 
I would buy, I used to at one point, I'd buy three, four pairs of Jordans like an idiot. I mean, Jordans are cool. I just got but, one like, for you my birthday. I just got Jordans for my birthday. From my, I mean, they're, my they're mom. great. Yeah. Like, but my OCD, I wanted to get, you know, one to stock, one to rock. And next thing you know, I was spending, you know, $400 for a pair of shoes. And so like going to Alden, which is about 400 bucks or 500 bucks for a pair of shoes, like it, it actually kind of equates. I just had to like train my mind. Into yeah, thinking. I also I'm not like a sneakerhead. I know there's a lot of like people who are into fashion or like huge sneakerheads. I did get this is my first pair of Jordans ever, and I didn't buy them myself. It was for my birthday. Yeah, I do, I'm not like a. I have a, a lot of sneakers. I wouldn't mm-hmm. say I'm like. I have a lot of shoes, but I wouldn't say I'm like a sneaker. I like I'm not on like the goat app, like trying to get like sneakers every ten seconds, but. Like loafers, I feel like a. I mean, this may be inching me towards grandpa too. But I, I, I'm also, I'm also into like, I follow a lot of um like Japanese guys, like in more than brands, like they're just like you know fit you know guys or whatever who are just like here's my outfit, here's my outfit, and I've gotten recently. I'm like I have to get a pair of Alden loafers because I like they just look so good. Um, Did you get. The- ones i haven't got i haven't ordered them yet so there's i think okay. that the numbers like they're like burgundy like dark they're like they look close to like almost black but they're not they're like dark brown you know it's something that i would probably wear all the time and if i'm and if i don't like if i'm not buying sneakers all the time i'm gonna wear these these shoes probably for five years i have to sort of look at it as like this like i can't look at it as like oh i'm gonna wear them and like just toss them i'm just gonna like I'm buying them for like a long-term investment kind of thing, you know? Um, and they, yeah. it's not like sneakers, which would like, if they scuff, it's going to look, you know, you're, you might not be as willing to wear them, but they're, they're, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're long lasting. It feels like they're actually like, Oh, I'm investing in actual good shoes. Yeah. I mean, my unsolicited advice to you is, is get fit and figure out, what your size is. And so like in the leisure hand zone, which is what I think you're talking about. That's the penny loafer one. Mm-hmm. That's the van last. And so like Alden has all of these different lasts. So it's like, I'm a nine and a half in this, but I'm a 10 in this and I'm a 10 in the, you know, I'm 10 and a half. In yeah, this last. I mean, and then how, how have you felt about, um, buying stuff during the pandemic and trying shit on and like returning stuff. And like, it's such a, it's more of a pain in the ass, isn't it? It's a huge pain yeah. in the ass. Yeah. I've been much more careful with my spending purchases and it's, it's also tough too, because, uh, I looked at most of my wardrobe throughout the, uh, you know, throughout the pandemic, like, okay, what am I actually wearing? I tried to start wearing like sport coats again. I was trying to just like, I'm going to wear these things, but a lot of it, I haven't. So I gave a ton of it away, other stuff I sold. And then was just like, okay, anything I sell, I'm going to try to donate. Like I don't, um, like I have a very strict policy of like, if I ever get anything for free or if I get like a buddy hookup, like I can't, I can't profit off of it no matter what. So it either needs to be given to someone or sold and like money given to charity. And so I, but like the thing I can't get rid of is any of my Aldens. So I used to work in fashion for a company for a while and we would get Aldens at wholesale. Mm. And wow. then, yeah. And so what I was doing is I'd bought those and then, but I figured out my size across all the different Alden lasts and they're great because those never change. So you can look on eBay or whatever you want to find, find those shoes, get them. And then, you know, whatever you're going to pay, say they're 200 bucks on eBay, then you can go send them to Alden, get them resold uh, for you if you want. And that's what another 200 bucks. So you basically get a new pair for, you know, three or 400. Oh, wow. You're not buying new, you know, right. it's like, right. it's all, like sustainable if that's even a thing even though you're going to ship it around a bunch of places it's hard it's hard um, like i need to like figure out what yeah how to how just i mean you're saying if i get them and they don't fit just resell them back. send them back yeah gee i mean that's that's the worst thing is like or like find a you know any for me like if i'm like okay can i get this from a small business right like that's the yes. thing i always ask okay can i find a, a small business that i can patronize and i mean that's why i love you know, shopping see- on etsy too it's just like and it it also feels like oh i'm getting a unique piece i'm not getting like a piece that's like everybody is gonna have and you know i don't know there's just like um the other thing that that i find about like 
buying shit in the pandemic is like you're not you're not getting any love for pants anymore on zoom you're <laughs> just getting like okay it's my upper half of my body like i could be like nude right now on on this zoom i could be jeffrey tube in it you know um <laughs> but like you know um so it, it's harder to me it's harder for me it's like am i what am i gonna invest in maybe i shouldn't be investing in tops you know, as opposed to like pants or whatever. Although I did just get a, a new pair of, um, a new pair of, uh, I got these like Ralph Lauren, like khaki pants that have like all different the patches, the patches on, them. on them. Did you see that one? Yeah. I like, yeah, I, yeah. Like the, I like that. I like that pair, um, of pants and I, um, I liked how they sort of styled it. That's one thing about ALD that I, I do think they have like whoever styles them. I mean, yeah, they, they, they totally crush it. Yeah. You should check out 18 East. That's another buddy I, of mine. Yeah, I'm, I'm following that. I'm 18 East. Uh, see, this is what I do. Yeah. So I have, I use my Instagram, I use social media to, I use the algorithm to basically work for me as opposed to it trying to like, I, I have a, um, I have like an Instagram account that's just clothing that is secret. It's like, I don't, I don't like. Did you have a Finsta? Yeah, I have a Finsta. But like, it's like. <laughs> No, but it's like, I don't, um, I, it's all like, it's only clothing. So I, I follow about like, you know, 300 like accounts of like, just like the clothing, like people who I, um, you know, people who are, have great outfits or like, and also clothing companies, you know, like what, whatever. And then the algorithm will feed me back, you know, because this is the only thing I'm looking at on this one account. It will feed me back kind of clothes um, and and accounts that I'm sort of like that are that are sort of my taste, which is kind of cool. That's got to be a lot of Buck Mason ads, though. Huh? <laughs> a lot of Buck Mason ads, yeah. But you have to t- you have to you have to do the work and say not interested. <laughs> no, that's great. Yeah, I used to use like Tumblr way back in the day as kind of like a mood board for myself, and sometimes I'll go back in there and look at it. A friend of mine keeps a photo album thing on his phone of just all, you know, things from like Gary Cooper and like Prince Charles and all these different like, like moods and fits. And so whenever he's looking at stuff, he'll be like, hmm, oh yeah, that pattern isn't, you know, that isn't correct. Or that is, you know, to like really like build and curate his wardrobe. It's a little overkill, but I like that. He's happy I like that. That's good. I want to make, I want to, my wife just made a mood board um, and I want to, I really want to do it too. It sounds like really fun to do like you know i don't know it's just like i mean first of all like what else are we doing at home but like it, it feels like it, it would be like really fun to sort of just put all that stuff together and see what it looks like and then you you could sort of maybe even find like oh this is my sort of this is what i'm into this is what i'm you know uh no i would highly recommend yeah get get a little pinterest thing like i have like what are like what is the wardrobe thing i want to have for fall what is the thing i want to have for spring i feel like a lot of it now for me would also be like i'm also leaning towards like i would say brando too marlon brando like i do a lot of tucked in i'm like no i like tuck in a lot now more like way more and just like more like form-fitting stuff um, with like more like baggier pants, I would say, like a starting to and like the loafer stuff, you know, it, it probably would have a lot of that, I would say, you know, whereas like, whereas like, you know, things like ALD, like will will tend to go towards like more sport, a little more sporty, like, uh, or like, you know, um, uh, maybe even you could say preppies, like a mix of like, you know, um, and, and, but I feel like, I don't know. Yeah. In a previous life, I was a stylist for, um, Orlando Bloom and Topher Grace and Paul Rudd oh, wow. for a bit. And every like client that I'd work with, I'd basically build them a mood board of like, Hey, here's, here's your looks for this press tour. And here's, here's your thing for this press tour. And we would, you know, I'd put pictures of art and like other sort of things. So we could be like, here's the, the color story we want to try to build from here. Oh, that's great. And it worked really yeah. Um is do, but it's Marlon Brando is always on every single one. Yeah. Especially like a lot of the um he he has this look where I mean it's just like a t shirt and jeans, but it was like one of the older five oh ones. So it's like a twelve inch rise on the five oh one, like just tucked in t shirt and just slightly rolled up. And it's like every single person was like, I want that look. I want that it's look. It's just so clean. Like, it's just so clean. 
and simple. And I guess that's what I like. I'm like, I don't want to be too, too showy and, 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 or like, that's another problem is having like, I, I don't love having logos, like wearing logos or like rocking anybody's like, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to be like a billboard. I want I want to be like, sort of like promoting myself, not promoting some company yeah. that I don't give a shit about. You know, you had mentioned like in, in parenthood, have you felt that your style has had to change at all uh, by being a dad? As my style? Um, I would say that um, I'm noticing that I'm dressing my daughter like me, which is bizarre. <laughs> you know, it's weird. It's like weird to see like, I don't, you know, like suddenly like me, my wife and my daughter all look like the same human being. And it's just a little weird. Um, you know, like part of it is also like fun, like, oh, like let's all dress the same and, and be like that type of family. But also I'm like, maybe we should, uh, you know, like, I can't wait for her to have her own taste and to sort of like choose and like, you know, like I, at first I was picking out stuff for her and now she's sort of picking her own clothes out. She's at that age where she's like, I don't want to wear that. I want to wear, you know, pants. I want to wear this. And it's, it's really cool to, uh, to see, um, uh, personally for me, I don't think I've changed, you know, I wasn't wearing anything. I'm not like walking around in like, you know, uh, uh, stuff that I wouldn't know, you know, I, 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 I haven't really changed anything in my, I would say because of, um, since being a dad, maybe that has to do with like, you know, inching towards the grandpa stuff is I feel, yeah. you know, like more, you know, I want to be more, you know, cozy and comfy and sweet, you know, as opposed to, you know, edgy. Right. Right. Yeah. Although I feel like being a grandpa is edgy. I feel like, you know, if you go out there and you're like, I'm grandpa, I'm grandpa. You're like, Oh, <laughs> that's like, that's pretty wild. You know? Yeah. Yeah. No one's doing that. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely have more fun dressing my daughter than I do myself. Oh yeah. Yeah. And they have like really good clothes too. You know? Yeah. How old your daughter? She just turned three. She, okay. That's just like my daughter. Yeah. It's really fun. Oh my God. It's great. And like, she now has a personality into which there's stuff that she doesn't yeah. like. There's stuff that she, if she could, she would want to wear her Tinkerbell dress every day. But like, I got her a bunch of Patagonia stuff. And so she'll like put a fleece on top of that. And I'm like, damn, my kid looks fucking cool. I know. I know. That's a, a lot of the... um it's hard to uh, avoid costume. Like I, I will say like a lot of, of times I'll be like, Ooh, I, this look is so, I, I, you know, it's, it, I love this look or I love this, uh, like this outfit. And you know, my, my wife will just be like, are you celebrating Halloween? Or like, is this, you know, like you look like mistletoe or whatever it is. And then it'll just ruin the outfit for me. Or like, She's like, welcome to the docks, fisherman. Or, and then I'll be like, oh, fuck, that's right. That's what this skullcap <laughs> makes me look like. Like, what am I doing? It's so funny how, like, it can just – one thing can make you feel like you're in a disguise and not an outfit, you know? Yeah. Nothing like a, a loving wife to just take you down yeah, one Yeah, you, one you know Zach, uh, Zach Woods? Um, so uh, one time I was walk- – I walked in. I got this – coat and i thought i looked so fly it was like a uh it was like a gray down coat the middle of the winter in new york city and had like fur on, on the top on the hood like around the hood this was in like I, I don't know like eight years ago or something like that um or nine years ago and i was i, I come into the ucb training center and i was just like i got the fucking flyest coat and I walk in, the whole training center is filled with people. Zach Woods looks at me and he goes, what's up, Carmela Soprano? And everybody <laughs> lost their shit. It was like, he nailed me. It, I looked exactly like Carmela Soprano. Never wore that fucking coat again. <laughs> Couldn't do it. That's all it took. Do you still have it? Like, boom. No, 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 no. I got, I got rid of that coat in New York. That was it. Yeah. Ne- ne- honestly, never wore that coat. Pally used to make fun of me. I, I had this like one, like also an army, like uh winter coat. And he would be like, what's up little general. He would like, he would call me the <laughs> little general. And it was just like, yeah, yeah. You, you, fuck you. But yeah, you know, you're right. You're kind of right. And outerwear is the biggest vice too. I've, there's so many things like, like 
Cause I don't, re- you know, I lucked out. Like I never really got into drugs. I just got into clothes. And Are so you into all- layering? You like layering? Yeah, man. Like, I mean, I got like tons of like old coats, like cool Glover all coats, which is like the, the, the duffel and the toggle, like old, like British warm stuff. Um, like old Laura Piana stuff. And every time I'd wear it, I'd always try to get like different layers here. Like usually like maybe like a tiny bit of yellow. I collect like yellow baseball hats mm. too to like whatever. But um, Are you, that's, your, that's um, your color. You love that color. I mean, I just, it, it's only cause I'm bald and pale and I'm scrawny. So it's like so what yellow fits, you know, yellow helps. Yeah. Like, just like a, like, my little brother worked at this ice cream shop in St. Louis called Ted Drew's Frozen Custard. Okay. If you ever went to Shake Shack, the the ice cream is is made after Ted oh, Drew's. Okay. That's the whole. That's good. And, yeah, and I have a bunch of these yellow hats. I'll send you one if you want it. They're like it's a kind of an ugly yellow baseball hat. It's got like red and green font on it. It says Frozen Custard, so it doesn't really connect to anything else that makes sense in reality uh-huh. and so you just you know and it, it's just weird enough that you can wear it with the suit and it looks pretty dope you can wear it with like all these different things and so i would always like build my layers around you know or build my outfits around all these you know crappy multiple layers of like but if you wear olive if you wear navy if you wear blue i mean any sort of thing right there and then you put a yellow hat on it's like boom kaboom yeah. and uh then all my friends were just roasting me all the time. It's like, there he is with this yellow hat again. And I was like, this is my fucking style, man. Leave me. I know, I know. There was like a time where I had like, especially friends who don't know what the fuck they're doing, who like will wear the same t-shirt like nine days in a row, my, will fucking give me shit about like, what's up with those hush puppies, man? I'm like, these aren't, first of all, these aren't hush puppies. Second of all, you know what the fuck you're talking about? It gets me so angry. But I'm like, I got it. You got it. Sometimes you just got to take take a chance and wear fucking, you know, you wear your goddamn brown overalls to work and that's it. Fuck you. You're taking my overalls. The, the amount of times people would bust out that Kenny Powers, you know, you look like a busted Daytona stripper sort of <laughs> line. I'm, I was just like, motherfuck. Yeah. I'm like, whatever, man. Like, you know, you're buying your clothes from the fucking price exactly, club. Exactly, like, man. No. I thrive off of that stuff. I hope that's it's all jealousy. It's all jealousy. It is. Yeah. That's basically the modern internet in a nutshell yeah. is people getting jealous off fit that's picks. Right. Pally always always fucking fit yeah, picks. He is. Anyway. Well, this has been a ton of fun. I appreciate you talking to me. And it was uh, it's always fun. You know, I don't get to talk about clothes all the time. So it's um, you know, it's it's really uh it's really fun, and I appreciate it. Yeah, it was, it was my pleasure. All right, take care, Gail. It was nice talking. Take care. You've been listening to Blamo. Our theme music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. We're edited by Brendan Finn, and we're produced by Blamo Media. You can follow along with us on Instagram or leave a review for us on your favorite podcast app. Do it for the B. Give us them five stars. If you want even more Blamo, head over to patreon.com forward slash Blamo to join the Blam fam, and you'll get access to additional interviews, a community Slack, special events, and more. And yes, we are on Twitch now. We're doing live shows once a month, and they're pretty weird, so check them out. All right, see you soon. <laughs>